very moldable clay in the master's hand. And when he molds you, he doesn't have to use a hammer to get you to get molded. He can gently just make suggestions. And yes, sir, amen. It's done. Consider it done, Heavenly Father. And I wish I was perfect in this, but I have procrastinated. How many of you have ever procrastinated before? We've all done it. That is a, pa- that is a, a form of passive aggression. You know, just imagine yourself. You're in a desert, dry place. You've been walking all day and you haven't had any water. And you come to this oasis and there's this little guy standing there and he's the keeper of the well. And you're going, oh, oh I'm, I'm absolutely dying of thirst. And, and I know that you, you, surely you'll give me some water and just sit there. And I'll think about it. Three hours later, eh, I don't know. I can't decide if I want to give you my... How many would like to reach out and slap that person? Why? Because they're being passive. They know their passiveness is hurting you. Did you know our passiveness hurts people? Do you know our unwillingness to go out and do what the gospel... Uh, actually, our passiveness is an aggression because it actually sends people to hell when we don't go out and preach the gospel to every creature. Somebody say Amen. So now, Pastor Bill, you're getting pretty aggressive yourself. Well, the gospel is pretty aggressive against our flesh and our sinfulness and our worldliness. God gets pretty aggressive against that. And he sends people to hell for not changing in those areas. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and 16. And we're going to talk about not being passive-aggressive or decide to decide. Because it's really important that we make decisions in this life. Because when we don't make a decision, we may not know it, but we're operating in passive aggressiveness. We're harming God when we don't do what he says. We're harming people. We're harming ourselves. We're harming our family. We're harming the people that are looking to us. And our passive aggressiveness, we're, we, and, and then we get into denial. A lot of passive aggressive people are in deep, deep denial that they're being passive-aggressive. Well, I wouldn't hurt anybody. No, but you wouldn't do a thing to save anybody. You'd sit there and watch them drown. People sit there and watch people go to hell. See, passive-aggressive, when we, when we d- don't decide to decide to obey, God would rather have us hot or cold, but you know what lukewarm is? Lukewarm is passive-aggressive and not making the decision. Somebody say Amen. That's what lukewarm is. And God hates that. God says, I'll spit that out of my mouth like puke. Puke you out. Lovely, lovely figurative language there. But anyway, Deuteronomy 30, verses uh, 15 and 16. Let me begin reading. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that I command thee, everybody say command, I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, there's a lot of ways the Lord has, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee, and that the land whither thou goest to possess it. Now, that is a positive scripture. Now, anything that ends with this, that you may live, multiply, and the Lord shall bless thee, and the land whither it's over thou goest to possess it, and the place that you go to, in other words. How many of you know, that is ending on a very, very positive note. How many of you want to be blessed tonight? I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. And he commands that we, walk, that we make that decision. I command thee this day. Wow. I said before thee, death and life, good and death. And I've commanded thee today to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his decision. You know, this is a decision that he sets before us. And we think that just happened one time with the children of Israel concerning the Ten Commandments and everything that Moses was telling him, all the other commandments, and all these things that happened once upon a time, long ago, with some other people, not us, not today. No, every decision you'd make has a moral factor to it. Every decision, 
you know, if you lay in bed, you, you chose death, and unless you really need to sleep, because you let your flesh dominate you. If you start your day with your flesh dominating you, you probably aren't going to do that great that day. Or you can choose life to get out of bed and dominate your flesh. Somebody say amen. You can start your day by neglecting a time of devotion and prayer, because we're to start every morning with prayer and devotion. David said, early did I seek thee. Jesus went up in the mountain, and early before it was daylight sought the Lord. It says his mercies are new every morning, not late afternoon or evening. His mercy, when you want to do spiritual business with God, his mercies are new every morning. Don't go to your boss at the end of the day and say, what do you want me to do today? Well, work's over now, ding dong. You come to me at the first part of the day to get your assignment so you can do what you're supposed to do that day. Not wait till the day's over, then ask me as you're going out the door, what can I do for you? No, we start every morning. And, and you know, if we start out wrong, we've got to even, just the, the decision every day to get up, get out of bed, begin to pray, have some time in the word, commit that day to God, and start out on the right foot. Just that alone is a choice to have a life day or a death day. Remember, death is a force. It's not just an event. Death will come in, waste your time, make you angry. You'll fall into sin, flesh, and the world. And then all kinds of things just snowball. And the day, how many ever had days like that? Where everything goes wrong. Well, it probably can be traced back to how you started that day. Because when you choose life, it begats more life and good things happen for that day. And God, for some reason, has divided to incrementally divide up our life into days. As he says, his mercies are new every morning. Not every first of the week, not every first of the month, not every six months, not every year. No, his mercies are new every morning. Every say every morning. You look at all the places where it talks about day by day and every day, and, and, and God literally divides our life up and gives us a new start and a new option every day, a new choose life or choose death every day. He literally does. It's amazing to me. And thank goodness he does because we don't want to go more than one night's sleep not being able to sleep on our sin because you do that very long. You're depressed and you can't sleep and you don't know what's wrong with you because you didn't get it right the next morning, or you didn't go to bed. You went to bed on your wrath and your unforgiveness, and now you woke up sick and depressed and unhappy, if you even slept, and now you started the day in death mode instead of life mode. Well, who wants to do that? That's just a mess. Adam and Eve started off the human race with a death decision. And everything's a mess. How many of you know we were never supposed to have to live in this, like this, and for this? This world that's so screwed up. Of course, we all know, turn to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The devil will always try to get you in this Deuteronomy 30, 15, 16, this, this choose life paradigm, this choose life way of living, this choose life existence, the devil will always try to circumvent that moral decision every time. Every decision. Who you're going to date, who you're going to marry, who you're hanging out with, what music you listen to, what you talk about in your conversation, whether you eat healthy or unhealthy, whether you watch things that are healthy or unhealthy, whether you listen to things that are unhealthy, whether you run with people that are unhealthy or healthy, whether you make decisions on money to, to have self-control or to blow it, or to go to church or not, to pay your tithe or not. We can, you can apply it to every decision in life as a moral component to it. That's why he says choose life. Always, always, always choose life. Look what it says over there. We're in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded him, the man. He didn't suggest. He didn't say you'd be smart if you'd do it this way. He didn't ask him pretty please with sugar on top. He said he commanded the man, saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Just like he says, I command you this day to choose life. He commands him of every tree of the garden that thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. 
And that's why he says choose life, not choose death. Because the first thing that happened between excuse me, God and mankind is he gave them a life-death choice. Every day of our life, we're going to have life-death choices. Adam chose not to obey God. He chose to obey his wife, who obeyed the devil, who destroyed their life, got them kicked out of the garden. They didn't have a bad day. They had a bad life after that. They had a bad offspring. Their, their first two kids, one killed the other one. I mean, say, that's a bad day. Because when you choose death, oh, well, how, I mean, come on, eating a piece of fruit. Yeah, and your kid ended up killing the other. You don't realize that the seed of disobedience in small things turns into this, to the, uh, how can I say, the harvest of disaster on, on large things. Why? Because we don't decide right. See, and I'm going to fault Adam in this. He didn't decide to decide. He let his wife decide for him. What a wimp. What a spineless, punk loser attitude. What a worthless, in the realm of leadership, person. He decided to let his wife decide for him. Don't let anybody decide anything for you. He decided to not make a strong decision and stand by it. Oh, the devil loves people like that. Because they don't think they're doing anything wrong, and they're really making a decision to rebel against God. When you don't decide, you have decided to what? Disobey. Somebody say amen. Say, we still love you, Pastor Bill. Now get off our back and leave us alone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm preaching to me too. Just remember that, okay? This is a continual series of decisions. Turn with me to Acts 17.30 because we take that from Deuteronomy into the New Testament and we see some interesting things that sound very similar. And we go over there and it says in chapter 17 of Acts, verse 30, it says, and the times... Of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth, commandeth, Kim Commando, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Commands only, only the bad ones to repent. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that, does it? It says all men, everywhere, all-inclusive. That means maybe you've already repented and become a, a Christian, but you may need to repent from a hundred other things. Somebody say amen. And it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And how many of you know you can be in a, in a continuous, ongoing tense? I think that's called aorist tense in the Greek. Continuous and ongoing. When, when you can be putting off a decision, that's a nice way of saying I'm staying in indecision and sin. If I put off a decision, that's my decision to stay in a continuous stance of sin and rebellion and not doing what God says. Now, there is ignorance. Okay, we understand that. But it says, and the times, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now What's our excuse now? We've got the word. We've got a better covenant based upon better promises. We've got the Holy Ghost to live in us, to be upon us, to empower us, and to flow through us. We've got the word. We've got the spirit. We've got pastors. We've got churches. We've got people that run beside us, people that are over us, and people that are under us that we can exercise our gift and develop it in. And we, we've got all this stuff now. What's our excuse now? Times of ignorance. There was a time of ignorance, but now he commanded all men he doesn't suggest, he commands. And that's why you need to teach your kids through command. We talked about this last night in staff meeting. Uh, Kinder brought up some interesting things that people have these types of questions. And, and I have these types of questions, and everybody has these types of questions. How do you deal with your kids? And do you let them figure it out on their own? 
And uh, the answer is not till they're 21 years old, but when they're under your care and under your tutelage and under your God-given responsibility to teach them, uh, you require them, you command them to do things. You don't ask, you don't negotiate, you don't suggest, uh, you don't coax, you don't, you don't pay them, you don't bribe them to obey. Uh, you know, a lot of parents get all caught up in a lot of weirdness. You command them. And if they don't, uh, they're going to taste the, the, the death feeling of a rod on their rear end. That's the feeling of death. That's just a little, just a little touch of death it's pain and it's dreaded and they fear it and it's nasty and it makes them remember it's just a little foretaste of death that rod your command is just a little hint they're going to have to live a life of God commanding all kinds of things of them if you don't prepare them for that you are destroying them you hate them I said you hate them he who spares the rod hates his child, but he that loves him disciplines him at the appropriate time. I didn't say it. The Bible says it in the book of Proverbs. Somebody say amen. amen. So we, we need to command our children, and God commands us to choose life. We are commanded to make choices. That is a bummer, Pastor I don't want to have to make choices. I like the comfort, the I don't make any enemies. I'm neutral. No, Jesus said there's no such thing. If you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not obeying, you're disobeying. Because the command only has two choices. Choose life or choose death. Choose obedience or choose disobedience. Because when you're commanded, you don't have the option to stay neutral. Somebody say amen. When there is a command, no decision is a decision that's saying no to God. Yet man disobeys by deciding to not decide all the time. Turn with me to Joel, the third chapter, verses 12 through 14. We can see that in the last days, the Bible talks about this is what's going to take many people to hell an undecided mind on the issue of God repenting, making him Lord, and serving him for the rest of your life. People put that decision off on a catastrophic scale today. And in the last days, this is, a, this is what it looks like, because we get closer and closer to judgment, the Bible says. That is Joel, and we're in the third chapter. And so we're going to go to verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit and judge the heathen round about. Put in your sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Jesus talks about people being the harvest and that there will be many, the fields are ripe. That means that they should be making a decision. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come and get you down, for the press is full and the vats overflow. Their wickedness is great. So there's a juxtaposition to those who are ripe to make the decision. And their wickedness is overflowing, not knowing that fierce judgment is going to come upon them. And he says, what is that a result of? And I'm adding that too because it's rhetorically multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. When you're in the valley of decision and you haven't made the decision and found your way on the mountaintop, if you stay in the valley of decision, you'll be in the valley of mediocrity the valley of unhappiness. You won't be on the mountain, but you'll, you'll stay in the valley because you haven't decided to serve God. You haven't decided to be all in. You haven't decided, and, and the lost person hasn't decided to die unto himself so he might live. He hasn't decided to crucify himself so Christ can live through him. He hasn't decided 
to give his heart to Jesus. He hasn't decided. They're ripe, and the vats overflow with wickedness, and it's great. And why? Why is there so many people not making uh, th that they're, they're ripe, but yet their wickedness is overflowing, ready to be judged? Because they won't make the decision. When they don't make the decision, they don't realize it, but they've made the decision to reject God unwittingly. And that's where it says thrashing is where you separate the wheat from the chaff. It's a dividing of the deciders and the non-deciders. Judgment Day will be a dividing of the deciders and the not-deciders, and it'll be too late. One thing that you can't give to other people, and you don't want to put this off, I remember the parable of the virgins. Five had gotten themselves ready, had gone out and purchased the oil so they could have their nightstands, the oil of the Holy Spirit that gives illumination in life. And the other five did not prepare, but they slept. They didn't make preparation. And then when it was time for the bridegroom uh, to come in, the others had no oil, and they're burning, and they were shut out, and they couldn't come in. But they asked the ones who had the oil, could you give us that oil so we can have our lights, so we can be part and go in instead of be rejected? And, you know, and, you know Jesus taught about giving. Jesus taught about love. And Jesus is teaching this parable. He's the one teaching it. And he said that they said, nope, can't have any of our oil for your lamp. You're going to have to be shut out. And why is that? Is that because he was mean? That's because the, the virgins were unloving or mean or didn't care? It's because you can't give someone else your preparation. You can't give anybody else your preparation. You can give them your money, you can give them your time, you can give them a lot of things. But I can't, if I've worked five, gone to school for four years and got a bachelor's degree and learned all about theology, I can't have somebody come up to me and say, uh, could I buy all that knowledge experience and all that learning that took four years of your life and the dedication, the blood, sweat, and tears and all the sacrifices and all the time studying and all the time taking tests and all the stress that I had to go through, can I just suddenly impart that into them because they hand me some money? Absolutely not. I can't do your preparation for you. I can't do your walk for you. You can't buy that. And I cannot make your decisions for you. And your mom and dad can't make your decisions for you. And God can't make your decisions for you. Only you can make your decisions for you. Somebody say amen. Because life is filled with decisions, and those are the things that prepare you for eternal life, to be with God. Not your works. It's your decisions to obey God. In the last days, many will be undecided. I cannot believe the generation that we're in, how they won't decide about anything hardly. And my generation is very similar to that too, but, but it's getting worse. And that's what Joel is saying. There'll be a huge valley of undeciders, those in the valley of indecision, and they'll be going to hell because they just put it off, wouldn't do it, rebelled. They wouldn't be for Jesus, so Jesus has to count some has to count them as being against him. Many will be undecided in the last days. Satan wants to keep you in the valley of decision. Really, in the valley of indecision would be a better way of saying it. It's a collision course with judgment. This isn't the first time, though. Turn with me to 1 Kings 18, verses 20 and 21. We're going to go back a little bit into the old... First Kings 18. We all know the story about Elisha and the prophets of Baal. There were 400 prophets of Baal. Elisha was the last prophet that was really active. And he says, we're going to have a showdown today. And you bring your prophets of Baal. You bring your God out, and I'll bring my God out. We'll both offer a sacrifice, and we'll see who answers by fire. And they said, okay, we'll get our God to come down, and he'll answer by fire, and he'll take up the sacrifice by fire 
And so they started cutting themselves, and they, they, they were howling and, and, and praying and, and cutting themselves and do all kinds of weird incantations and dances and nonsensical, stupid, heathen stuff that heathen, stupid people do. And nothing, would ha- nothing happened. Religion. And he went and he said to the people, and this actually happened before. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, we're in verse 20, we're over there in 1 Kings 18. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you halt between two opinions? In other words, how long will you refuse to make a decision? If the Lord be God, follow him. If, but if Baal, then follow him. And you know how he knew, and it proved out, and it was verified that they didn't want to make any decisions? It says, and the people answered him not a word. It's like people who won't say amen. They're not sure if they want to amen that because they haven't decided whether they agree with it. Not a word. Silence is not golden, by the way. Silence at this point is stupidity that refuses to make a decision and stands very close to being judged by God, and they don't know it. Well, we know the story. I just described the, the heathens tried to get their God to answer. And so Elijah says, well, I'm going to one-upsmanship you really bad here. I'm going to put a whole bunch of water all over mine. I'm going to build a trench around it and fill it with water. I'm going to make it so it's impossible for this thing to be burned up. If I'm going to get it so drenched and soaked and wet and covered with water and water all around it that I'm going to make it that all the odds would have to be against this thing being uh, completely devoured by water. And uh, so when I call upon my God, you'll know for sure you, you people that have a hard time making a decision uh, will be able to make your decision. He calls upon God, and the fire of the Lord fell, in verse 38, and consumed the burnt offering, the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked the water, up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God, and the Lord, he is God. Why did it have to take that? It says an evil generation desires a sign. Why can't we just obey God? Now, he was showing mercy there. He was showing mercy. But he said, why halt you between two decisions? If God be God, then serve him. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. We already said that. And every day that we decide not to live for the Lord is a day we have chosen to live against him. Every time we choose not to obey, I don't care if it's tithe, church, serving, walking in love, being a godly example at work, uh, not looking at something you shouldn't be looking at, not doing something you should be doing, not saying something you should be saying. Every day we do that, we're, we're living against the Lord. It's kind of like you ch- tell your child to make their bed or an employee uh, to do something, and his reply is, I'll have to give it some thought. If our kids ever said that, I'd say, I'm, well, you're going to have to give it some thought, and I'm going to have to give it some rod swinging and then that will accelerate your thoughts. And so, anyway, I, uh, because I, when, when you say, I'm going to make, then, then you're responding the wrong way to a command. Somebody say amen. The Bible says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Which is, that's over in James. Where is that at, Pastor Bill? It's in James 5 and 12. And let's look at that. Oh, I was looking in four. No wonder I couldn't find it. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any earth, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. See, when you say yes and you obey God, 
and you say no and you won't obey the devil, then you're not in that place where you're playing games with you, God, and the devil. But the devil wants you to, to say, well, I don't know. Either say yes or no, and if you say, well, I don't know if it's biblical, then find out real fast if it's biblical. And then also go by peace and let peace be your empire. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yes, be yes, no, be no. Don't, don't be, or you could look at it like this. You're better off being completely cold or hot because if you're hot for God, you know you're right. If you're cold, you know you're not obeying and you're saying no to God. Then you can know that you should repent instead of thinking you're okay because you're not making the decision, which is really a passive-aggressive coward's way of saying no. It really is. It's a coward's way of saying no. I mean, have enough guts to say no to God if you're going to rebel and disobey him. Just say no. I'm a rebel. I'm going to have to bear the consequences. says, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't get it. I, I don't know what you want me to do. Shut up and do, do what you know to do and obey what you know to obey. Don't play the game of not getting in the game, not doing anything, setting idle. That's all passive aggressiveness. That's all self-centered. That's all your flesh. That's all you not being obedient. Even though you've deceived yourself into thinking, well, I'm really not obedient because I really haven't made the decision yet. Yeah, you have. You're, you're, dis you're in disobedience and you don't realize it. And you're playing games with your own mind and you're deceiving yourself. It says, be ye a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Deceiving your own self. Be a doer. That's saying, yes, I'll obey. Because when you deceive your own self, you, you forget who you were and who you are, and your whole life becomes a mess. And because you won't say yes, and you won't act and make a decision. Because you like hiding out in the valley of indecision. You like being a coward and not have to suffer any kind of good, bad, or indifferent consequences. You don't love God enough to obey him. Somebody say amen. So spiritual decisions concerning God are different than natural decisions. In natural decisions, we gather information, we weigh out the pros and the cons, we seek, we seek counsel for those who have experience, and we count the costs, and we go with what we believe to be the best option when we have, you know, it's, a, it's an honor for a king to search out a matter. Today we'd say uh, it's an honor for a leader to do his research. So on natural things, yeah, it's an honor for a leader to do his research. It's an honor for a king to search out a matter. You should research it. You should have multiple counselors in natural decisions. You know, God's not really that concerned about what car you buy or what house. I mean, he might be if there's some weird equation to it. But generally, you can make a lot of those decisions as a natural decision. But spiritual decisions are not decided that way are not arrived at on a, uh, they're arrived at on different basis. They're decisions of the heart and decisions of obedience. See, it's interesting because the spiritual decision is based on looking inward to your heart. It says, it talks about in your heart and in your mouth. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. And see, Paul quotes that in Romans 10, 8 through 10. And we hear, we, we hear it a lot of times as we quote, what is it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's actually Paul quoting Deuteronomy back in uh, that 30th chapter. Okay, we're going to go there quick. I'm going to quote that. We're going to look at that. You can mark it in your Bible. But it's Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. It's right before the verses that we read. And it says, For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee. So now we're talking about making decisions. See, what happens is we get into our head and we start trying to make spiritual decisions by natural ground rules. You know, we start gathering information. We start weighing the pros and cons. We ask all the probably wrong people. 
We think, is this going to cost me? Yeah, serving Jesus is going to cost you. Don't make any mistake about that. And then what happens is we start trying to make spiritual decisions with natural tools of decision-making. But look what it says. For this commandment, I command thee this day, it's not hidden from you. Don't, Don't claim you don't know. Well, quit looking to your head and look to your heart, and you'll know real quick. See, my kids always say, well, I, I don't know. And I, and I say, well, whose responsibility to know for your life? Me, the guy down the street, the, the astrologer, you know, get on and, 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 and listen to the 800-number uh, psychic or, or, you know, that God's trying to hide it from you. No, he's trying to get you to open up your eyes and, and receive it. There's only one person responsible for you not knowing. That's your fault, and you need to do something about it. Make no mistake. If you don't know, that's your fault. Because God says he's made it so we can know. It says, For I have not seen nor heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has for those that love him. But now God has revealed it to you, to them, by his Spirit. And it says, a spiritual man knows all things, but a carnal man, I'm, I'm quoting out of 1 Corinthians 2, down around verse 14 or 15, but it says, a carnal man, it's foolishness to him. And he doesn't understand any of it, because he's carnal, because he chooses to be carnal. But a spiritual man discerns all things and knows all things. You don't have to wonder what God is saying to you. It is something it says here, for this command which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee. This thing I'm commanding you to do, the answer is not hidden from me. Don't play that game with me, God says. It is not hidden. It's not a hard decision. Just get out of your foolish little head and start listening to your heart. For this commandment, This day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven. Well, if God up there would tell me, no, it's not up here with me. It's not hidden. It's not far off. It's not up here in heaven where you can't get at it. And if I could go to heaven and talk to God, I might know. I wish wish God would come down here and tell. No, it's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up for us to heaven Maybe I get some real spiritual person that can have an experience and leave his body, go to heaven, ask God, come back and tell me. No. No. For us to go to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. No, Moses isn't going to do that for you. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. I've already told you what to do. Don't play that game. Don't say, I've got to go find some prophet. I've got to run to a bunch of meetings, and maybe somebody will prophesy over me. Somebody's got, I've got to go looking over sea, land and sea. I've got to go looking way up in heaven. I got it. He said, no, 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 no. It's not far off. It's not hard to find. But the word is near you, nigh unto thee. It's in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the what speaks? The mouth. If you listen to your heart and let it be in control, instead of your head being in control of your mouth, let your heart be in control. Your mouth will start telling. You'll start prophesying to yourself what the answer really is. Somebody say amen. We're talking about how to make a spiritual decision tonight. Because the tendency is to decide not to decide. But you'll get yourself in big trouble if you do that. Are you all seeing what I'm saying? And then it goes on, see, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In other words, quit claiming ignorance. Quit being passive aggressive. Quit playing this game with me. If you'd pay attention to your heart, you'd know exactly what to do. Don't play that game with me. I reveal it to your heart all day long and you won't pay attention to what I'm revealing to you. It's already in your heart. It's in your mouth. I've said it before you this day. Life and good, death and evil. And I command you, 
See, if we didn't know it, he couldn't command us to do it, or he'd be unjust. Can I get an amen? He can't command you to do something you don't know to do, or he'd be an unjust God. How many of you know he's not an unjust God? He can only command it when he knows he's revealed it to us, and maybe we're playing games with him, and we don't want to make decisions, and we want to pretend like we've got to go running all over the world to find the answer. He knows he's revealed it to us. That's why he can command us to obey it. Don't try to put it out like it's a natural decision when it's actually a spiritual decision that's already in your heart and you already know to do it. If you'll make the decision, the decision will make you one day. People that won't make decisions end up being big nothings because decisions sometimes are hard. If you'll make the decision now, the decision will make you. And If you make the wrong decision, it'll make you a far lesser person. Make the decision and let the decision make you. Somebody say amen. This is why God can say, now is the accepted hour. Behold, now is the day of salvation, because people already really know. Not like you've got to learn 50 million new lessons before you're going to get it. It says, now is the time. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's why he can command people everywhere to repent, and we once waked in ignorance when people didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside their spirit man and they did have to be led by a prophet. Yes, they could claim ignorance. But the Holy Spirit was upon Moses. He was upon those people like he's upon us and in us. We can't claim that ignorance, so he can command us to repent concerning things because now is the accepted time. Not after you learn it, not after you start out, not after you go up into heaven and try to find it, go over the seas to try to find it right now. Because right now it's in your mouth. Right now it's in your heart. Right now you can know. He's commanded all men everywhere to repent. The Bible says in Romans 1 that he has no one, all men are without excuse because he's revealed himself to all men through nature and through conscience. All men are without excuse. How many of you know it says that in Romans 1? It's already been revealed. It's already been revealed what we need to do in life. Now, little intricacies, we need to seek God and be led, yes. But the general, here's the thing. The Bible says you have no need for any man to teach you. This is over in 1 John 2. He says you have no need for any man to teach you because you have an unction from the Holy One and you can know good from evil. See, decision-making of good, life and death, good and evil, is an unction from the Holy One. It's a spiritually discerned thing, not a mentally understood thing. Choosing life and death is spiritually discerned, not mentally calculated. Somebody say amen. It's not mentally calculated. It's spiritually discerned. It's not a head decision. It's a heart decision. Indecision is a subtle form of unbelief. It's refusing to believe God. It's going out on your own, not obeying him, but you're going to make your decisions, you're going to make your assessments, and you're going to come to your conclusions like you know it all, like you're omniscient or something. You choosing not to believe and act on the word is an act of rebellion and not doing. Be a doer, not a hearer. And every time you hear and you're, uh, and you're confronted with that choice and you don't do it, do the word, it's a decision against God. Turn with me to James 2, 19 and 20. And you, 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 there's, there's some folks that have done that long before us, and the Bible talks about them. James 2, 19 and 20. And it says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You can even believe God, but if you won't obey and make a decision to do it, you're like the devils because they know what God has said. They believe it, but they won't make the decision to do it. That's why devils are devils. That's why devils are in hell for eternity because they won't decide to do what God says. They know what God says. The devils, it says, and the devils also believe and tremble. But see, the devils won't make the decision to do right. How many of you it takes a decision to do what's right? I set before you life and death. Choose. 
and do what's right. Acts 17, you know, he, he's commanded us. We're running out of time, aren't we? Okay, I'm going to finish this up. James 1.6. Unsure undecisiveness. James 1.6-8, it says... But let him think, excuse me, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. I would call that a form of indecisiveness. And let not that man think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. A double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So if we get indecisive, don't waver because you won't receive, and when you won't receive, you'll become unstable. Don't waver. Make the decision. Wavering is going back and forth, so you end up really never making the decision for, so you actually have made the decision not to do it. Cowards refuse to make decisions. Lot's wife looked back, how many can tell me what happened to Lot's wife? She turned into a statue or a pillar of salt. Well, you know, he says we got to go out and, and don't look back. And I, I, I'm trying to make this decision here. I'm gonna maybe I'll just look back just for a second. And she looked back and she. Her heart was trying to lead her to go out, but her flesh wanted to look back because she missed Sodom and Gomorrah. Her kids stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah. You've got to place God above your kids even. She didn't make the decision. She made a half decision. She wavered. She didn't just become unstable. She became a, a pillar of salt. Job's wife said, curse God and die. How many of you know Job's wife died? How many of Job know Job wouldn't waver? Job wouldn't waver. He, he considered God good no matter what happened to him. And Job got double for his trouble. How many would rather have double for your trouble than dying miserably? Wow. The waverers of life, the Lot's wives, Job's wives, those who look back, those who say curse God and die, those, those who let their emotions rule them and won't make a hard, fast, distinct, definite, unchanging, unwavering decision. Jesus says, don't look back from the plow or you're not even worthy to be my disciple. Because if you can't make up your mind and you keep looking back, you'll probably run over somebody with your plow and be more damaged than good. But if you can't make a decision, you're not even worthy. Decision is what makes the man or the woman of God. Decision-making is important. Colossians says, be led by peace or let peace be your umpire. Making decisions will give you peace. How many ever put something off and when you finally made the decision to do it? It's like, whew, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Put off paying a bill or you put off making a decision. Are we going to go with those folks? Are we going to go do this? Or are we not going to go? And, you, and, you stay in indec- and you're just miserable in your indecision. Finally, Psalms 112, we're going to end there. We're going to read the whole, it's not very long, but Psalms 112 talks about the righteous man is a, is a decisive person. The righteous man is a decisive person. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord and delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. We claim that for our kids ever since they were born. We're not, we're not going to just have average Joes. Our seed's going to be mighty in the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. They're going to be upright and they're going to be blessed. And they're going to be mighty. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. We decide we're not going to settle uh, for Grumble Alley down there by Barely Get Along Street. His righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. If you walk upright, you'll get 
a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path, thy word is. There shall arise light and darkness. He is gracious, full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. He shall not be moved for at least a month. Oh, excuse me, forever it says. Oh, sorry. How many of you know when you make a decision to stick with it forever? I'm never going to do that again. How many of you know? Have you ever made a decision that were forever? When I said my marriage vows, I said it's forever. No matter what. We make decisions. He shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be an everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. Everybody say fixed. Fixed. Trusting in the Lord. Fixed. Fixed. You know, the Bible says that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. You know, that doesn't mean anything to anybody, but shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Those Roman warrior shoes were strapped onto your feet, and they had spikes that, I can't remember if they're like four or five, six inches long, but the spikes were angled backwards. So you kind of went like, and you dug them in, and you went like that. And if somebody knocked you over, your feet would still be stuck to the ground. You could only go forward and pull them out that way to get them out. And you put them back in, and you have to pull them out that way and go forward. Because there was no going backward in battle. Fixed. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see the desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. How many of you know people that are wicked get jealous of people that are righteous? Because they've never made any decisions in their life. They've not made a decision to stick with something, to do hard things, to, to yield things later on in life. They haven't stuck with church. They haven't stuck with uh, saving money. They haven't stuck with, they haven't made real decisions. Your life has to be made of real decisions that are forever, that are fixed, that are established, that are immovable, that are not wavering, that stay fixed. And the decision is to make a real decision. And it says, and the wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. What a juxtaposition of those who can make decisions and those who can't. Those who are fixed. Those who are established. Those who are not afraid of evil. Those who shall not be moved, it says. Make your decisions and make them well, and they will make you. Let's stand up.